I would like to be, begin the um, meeting with you and to talk with you about the way that you are using your arrow mm -hmm. and take from there. So, what is happening in your household? Well, actually in a couple of households. Mm -hmm. My wife and I, our eight children, have over the last 25 years had a sort of open house policy to people who wanted to live with us. And over the years, that's become more and more specialised, so that for the last 15 years or so, we've been looking after people with schizophrenia and related conditions. Right. And... Why Just a minute. Yes. Right, no rush. So, in this period of 25 years, you said there has come about an increasing specialisation with regard to people regarded as schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. Schizophrenia. Um, how did that occur? Well, for a long time, we just looked after anyone who came along. Uh, not for any great reason. I mean, we were probably lonely and just letting people into our house. And um, years ago, we used to take in whole heaps of people, and homeless people, children who'd been knocked about, their mums. Their... And among the people we took in were a few people who were very much out of the weather mentally, and people with schizoid, whatever that is, tendencies, were seen to well, appear to thrive with us, with the result that there began to be a build-up of pressure from various groups, social services and so on, saying, well, you know, Mary did pretty well, would you like to try yes. Janet, and, uh, and so on. Until, over the last 15 years, legislation has tightened up on this situation a great deal. Um, years ago, the law wasn't terribly interested in the mad, or whatever you want to call them. Uh, they were provided for in asylums and locked safely out of the way. And apart from the regulations that surrounded that situation, there was very little. Nowadays, of course, everything's so regulated that it's terribly difficult to mix everything up. Mm. And we've, in fact, lost a lot of the joy of what we used to do, which was having a whole heap of people. And we were part of the heap. Yeah but a very variegated heap, and it did everyone good, and um, was great fun. Nowadays, it's much more specialised in looking after these people so, who get so this label. Here, over a period of time, you ran, and are running, an open house policy, mm -hmm. and you had this variety of people in there, mm. and now you have more specialised. Where did your um, training and uh, and if any, are skills, under what kind of... They're skill? intuitive. Um, whatever my trainings and qualifications are, they aren't in that area. I'm not a nurse, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not a psychologist. Um, it would appear that my wife and I have a knack of handling a certain kind of person, or more probably we've an approach to life that creates a sort of sphere in which a certain kind of person is given a chance to do some flourishing. Yes. And in a field where very, very little is being done, especially very little is being done successfully, mm. the world is beginning to beat a path to our door. Also, this has happened at a time when a very visionary sort of policy has been implemented in a very unvisionary way. Lots what and lots... Well, in the past um, 15 years, there's been a move to, to the community care of the mentally ill. Mm. For ages and ages, 
We've just buried them in vast sort of baronial mansions uh, built in about 1880, about four miles out of town. Mm. And um, those places all have a terrible name. You know, for years and years they've been the asylum, so mm. everyone's had this sort of shudder as they mention the word. And so they're not very fashionable places. They're not easy places to run in a modern and efficient way. They were built at a time when it was cheap to heat baronial mansions, masses of coal around, and now they also need repairing. At about the same time that all these pressures are building up to modernize or get rid of these institutions, there, there's a change of idea that perhaps instead of pushing the mad, whatever they are, out of our society, perhaps the place to look after them is in it. Mm. Unfortunately, this thing hasn't gone very well. Um, in order to save money and in order to release vast sums of tied-up capital, lots and lots of hospitals have been closed down, thousands of bed spaces have been lost, literally thousands of bed spaces, and replaced by a few hundreds. And it is a visionary policy, mm. but it depends on all sorts of things. I mean, you can't push people that the community can't cope with into the community without educating the community, community, preparing the community to do it. So the visionary aspect is that there's a need to go from the centralised asylum situation into the community, but the community itself isn't, by and large, prepared. The community isn't prepared at all. Right. Uh, we live in a country that's very good at pushing people out. Um, I think one of the reasons I've done this is that I and my family have a sort of transcultural experience. We live partly within Eastern European cultures because I'm an Orthodox priest. And I'm used to mixing with people who think that we are, um, I can't think of the word to use, unspeakably shocking because of the way we treat our old people. You know, they're herded into special old people's ghettos. Yeah and then into old people's homes, mm. and then into even ever more shut away, hidden places as they get more and more unmentionable, yeah. unfaceable. No mm. one wants to know about mm. getting old, no mm. one wants to know about dying, and certainly no one wants to know about death. There's a bit of a creeping out of that sort of situation now, and people are becoming more conscious of these things. Well, these Eastern Europeans are also very shocked about the way we treat children. Mm. They just can't understand us. And when it comes to the mad, well, they have no words for it. Um, in many cultures, as probably once in English, the mad are regarded as perhaps touched by something mm. beyond our normal experience. It, they're almost venerable, and mm. we just herd them out and hide them. Right. So, in a way, you're saying that both from your um, exposure uh, and experience and connection with other cultures, mm -hmm that has influenced and continues the way you look mm. at our relationship to people mm. and especially rejected people mm. in our society mm. now when i'm when using the word mad deliberately because I, I it avoids so. some sort of euphemism or some sort mm. of picture which is often a very false one, or is only a sort of illustration mm. and is dangerous when taken literally. Right. I'm not even keen on the word the mentally ill, for instance. Yes. It's, so it's difficult. It, it's, so there's 
socialist thinking, which does put people into categories, if not mad, then some kind of euphemism to soften mm. the, the, la the language. Mm. But it still fixes people in a particular way. And your way of looking at people, at such people, seems to be quite different because you, you refer to an, another age, another time. So, what's your sense about people who are classified? You've worked with them. They're classified as mentally ill or unbalanced or schizophrenic or... I just don't know. I don't have the scientific ability, really, to assess what's going on. <laughs> but, um, can I give you an example? If you talk about people who are labelled schizophrenic, now, this is a very vague sort of umbrella word. Mm. It's usually used for someone who's had a mental breakdown, and you don't usually talk about a person as being schizophrenic until he's had that breakdown. Mm. And it's used when he's manifested about five or so of about 30 symptoms. What so this is something vague. What, what symptoms? Oh, symptoms like hearing voices or uh, having visions or imagining that he is being controlled from outside, you know, things like this. Now, there are actually almost objective, measurable factors mm. about these people, so that you can survey sections of a society mm -hmm. and you'll discover that roughly one in a hundred human beings mm. has these object objective factors in yes. his makeup that could cause him to be labelled of a schizophrenic type. Mm. And this is so pretty well all over the earth. It makes no difference whether you live in an igloo in wherever they have igloos or, or, or in India or England or wherever. But in certain sorts of society, of those one in a hundred, nearly every one breaks down and just becomes a total casualty of life. In other societies, very, very significantly less of those one in a hundred of the population break down. In highly competitive and demanding societies mm. where everyone must prove his worth and that's the very least you must do. I mean what you really ought to do is get on. Um, mm. In those sorts of societies to have a schizophrenic personality is an almost certain damnation to catastrophe. You're going to break down and be mm. um, an invalid of some kind. Right. So are you are you are you saying here? Are you saying here that the patterns of what is described as schizophrenia, hearing voices, being controlled, etc., are not in themselves destructive, but when the social environment is intolerant of such people who have those experiences, it becomes yes. I, when I was talking about factors, I was not necessarily talking about those factors at a stage where they've become symptoms. But uh, that, that's yeah. probably making an unnecessary mm. distinction. Right. Um, in some societies, there is a very, very different expectation mm. of people, a very different pattern of acceptance. In some societies, for instance, you are simply born into a state, and you remain in that state mm. for the whole of your life. There's no demand that you enter a higher state or something. There's a great deal of acceptance of you just as you are. Someone with those tendencies and vulnerabilities, if you want to call them vulnerabilities, tends not.
to be so likely to break down in that sort of society. I would say in our society it's not simply that sort of person but a whole range of people who possibly in some ways overlap with that sort of person. I mean, we have very little time for the artistic temperament. We've got very little time for anyone who isn't making money or exerting pressure, right. exploiting in some way, profiting. Mm. And there... I don't want to necessarily suggest that, that every schizophrenic is a genius or that every schizophrenic automatically has some vast contribution to make. Mm. But the fact is, you need not only the vast contributions, you need all sorts of human contributions to a society. And learning to accept patterns other than the ones we fundamentally mm. regard as most valuable and most important is in fact a very valuable thing, a very healing thing for society. So in that respect, in making, in hearing, it's very important. In a very competitive society, where there's a desire to get on, there is equally a lack of self-acceptance, because of the strong desire to mm. be somebody, mm. and the lack of other acceptance. Mm. And where there's a society where there's greater acceptance as a theme within mm -hmm. it, it's both for self, as one is, mm. and for others. Mm. And in that, in terms of what, what is going to contribute to changing the consciousness, if at the community level people are not ready, they are competitive, what's going to contribute to changing the well, way of thinking? Let me give an example. I moved into this house about six years ago. Yes. At that time, the law governing the activity I engage in was so vague as to be almost non-existent. I had done this work for many years in relation with a whole lot of authorities and where there was any question of law there were exchanges of letters or something that made sure that there was some agreement as yeah. to how things were working. But I bought this house and I just moved in. I moved into a rather large house with a rather large group of people. No one took a great deal of notice in the street. It must have become obvious that a few of these people were perhaps a little bit odd at times or a little bit slow at times, but no one took a great deal of notice. Two or three years ago, because of a, a rather nasty situation that had arisen in the country with the closing of vast institutions and the dumping of people on an exploitive market, um, Parliament hurried through some legislation aimed to give local authorities a weapon to clobber people who were simply exploiting the unfortunate. And, um, what would, I'm to interrupt. What would be an, an exploitation of the unfortunate? What would be an expression uh, of that? Oh, well, I and mean, the sort of situation where someone with a broken down seaside bed and breakfast house is, is packing people about five into a room uh, just in order to get the money yes. that the state's willing to pay okay. to get them off its hands and so on. Um, now, a law was introduced requiring the registration of any place in which, for gain or not, three um, people, more than three people who had at any time in their lives been mental patients, were housed. And as a result, I had to apply for a planning permission to register this house as such an institution. 
a new neighbour next door to me hit the roof. My God, they're going to open up a lunatic asylum next door to my house. My property values will slump and so on. And try to organise a petition in the street against it. Um, people were a little worried, you know, is this man going to do this thing? I explained and got through to them eventually, no, all I'm doing is retrospectively getting permission to do what I'm already doing now. Nothing's going to change. I am looking after these people that you know as Tom, Dick and Harry, but in fact the law knows them as schizophrenics and wants to register them, uh, register the house they're contained in. Most of the people in this street then turned round and wrote letters of support of my planning application. Now that is a very, very unusual situation. Normally when one seeks to open uh, a place like this, you get an enormous uh, wave of opposition. Yes. Now, you see... We experienced precisely the, the same at a guy house when we applied for mm. planning permission as a, as a retreat house. The same, exactly the same response, mm. needing to contact the people, then, then some trust coming, mm. and, we we can, and then we received the planning permission. You see, the thing I've done is not to take people out of a big lunatic asylum mm. and build some sort of modern little lunatic asylum in the middle of the street. I am just living my own lifestyle in my own house and sharing it with other human beings. Um, they may have certificates to say they're dotty, but I mean they're not any all that much dottier than me and, and it's just generally accepted the whole of rather eccentric people are living in this house. As a result, it's been accepted. No one gave it labels. Mm. And people have come to know these people as human beings. Old ladies will ask if so-and-so can come round and sweep the snow away from their door when it snows or give them a hand with the dustbins on a Wednesday morning or something because they can't lift them. Mm. And no one stops to think that these people have actually been locked up at the cost of nearly a thousand pounds a week in high security hospitals because they were considered to be very, very dangerous. The people I have here, by the way, mm. aren't sort of people on the fringe of being well who need a bridge back to society. This is an alternative to the madhouse, the lockup. Mm. I have people who are in very, very high security situations indeed. Mm. And they are just brought into this house, having come from literally padded cells, that sort of thing. They are let into this house with everything that's here to be mm. thrown around. Um, it's obvious there are dozens of things around the house that can be used as a weapon to attack. Yes. The moment they walk into this room, they're immediately impressed by the fact that, well, someone has a totally different set of expectations. There are no straps, there are no pads, there are, yes. it hasn't been cleared of, a, of possible weapons. And also, to most of them, it seems a princely sort of room. They're being treated like, mm well, whatever, aristocrats or something yes. rather. They're walking into somewhere that's beautiful and contains some beautiful so things. In, in this, you're saying that the very atmosphere, as somebody who's gone from a lock-up situation into this one, ha already has an impact on the person, simply because mm. it has all the appearances in every respect of being a home. Mm. But... That, in itself, though, wouldn't protect the household, I mean, you have a family, you have children, and so forth, from the various kind of patterns, which presumably must be latent with some of them. Suicidal, um, 
um, ag um, aggression uh, and and all the other. Well, how, how do you deal with that? I've lived for 25 years mm -hmm. with a great many people who have been accounted very very dangerous. Yes. Our society doesn't pay nearly a thousand pounds a week to keep somebody in high security hospitals. I'm talking about that literal sort of payment. Yes for high security containment, mm. unless people really are considered to be dangerous. And I can only say, no one's ever hurt me. I mean, I'm the most awful coward. I couldn't do this if, um, if I really thought I was going to be hurt. And then I've got children. I've got, I've still got quite small children. Yes. Um, most of my younger children have grown up with this work going on around them. Mm. I think another of the differences is that we just aren't afraid. Mm. And However I'm going to tackle the aggression that crops up, mm. um, it is not going to be by a head-on show of strength, because no. I'm not very much into head-on shows of strength, because yeah. I might get hurt. Yeah. Um, I think there are several things here. When I let someone into this room mm. where there are things to throw around, mm. I am letting them. Yes. I, I'm, I'm doing some... Mm. actual act of giving into their hands the power to hurt me. Well, another right I would give them is the right to be angry. Yes. I think anger is a very proper part mm. of human makeup. Mm. If you really hold it down, you are heading for trouble and they're likely to be blow-ups of various kinds. Um, if people are very frightened of someone and that someone is near berserk, you know, I had a young man who came here, for instance, um, just a matter of days before he came here, he was removed from somewhere else, and it took five people to remove them, remove him, and most of those five people were quite badly hurt. Most of those people were heavies, the sort of people that you would use as bouncers in a nightclub, only they were being used as sort of bouncers into an institution of some kind. Well, I have, from the start, never had any difficulty with this person at all. I regard his anger as a legitimate one, and I give him opportunities to express it. Mm. I what sort of don't meet him... Well... What, 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 when you say that, what, what do you mean? How would he, how would he might express well, it? Well, I mean, what, if, what, he was, if he was really, really angry, yes. my wife and I would almost certainly cuddle him. Mm. and shake with him, or do whatever he was doing. Yes. You, know, you know, people go rigid and shake with anger. And we'd say, we just say, we know you're angry. Of course you're angry. Mm. You tell me why you're angry. I've got a picture of why you're angry. Perhaps we take him somewhere where he could have a good scream. Yeah. Or I, I, I take him caving or something where, where you can travel through some deep experience mm. like fear or anger or something. Um, if I was feeling really brave, I, I might let him wrestle mm. uh, with me or something. Uh, I'd give him angry games to play, right. arm wrestling. You know, there's a lot of competitiveness in people mm. which we make great play of as long as it's directed to making money or, yes. or something like that. But we've no place for it when, when it's linked up with things like anger. But there are all sorts of competitive games that people play, mm -hmm. and 
I'm not talking about cricket and all those mm. highly ritualised rule things. I'm talking about things like wrestling and mm. tussling about on the lawn or, or arm wrestles or, yes. or whatever. Um, people don't get into those situations with dangerous people because they're frightened of getting hurt. Mm. But if you go into those situations as a sort of game, then that person isn't presented with your fear and your anger yeah. and all that sort of thing. And you, you can get some very, very different sorts of results. So the, so the attitude which, um, and outlook which you're taking is one is total acceptance of the person. Um, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say total, because no, no. you know, none right. of us is total. No. And my, my acceptance is imperfect too. Mm. I accept them as they are. Mm. I also point out what a mess I am. Mm. And I'm prepared perhaps to be a lot more accepting yes. than some people are. But even then I show them that even my acceptance is, is a mess too. It's imperfect. It's not mm. total. But, right. so, but so all right, it aims a bit further go. towards right. totality. Yeah. And, and this acceptance in both of household and, of, and inwardly is actively contributing towards a person feeling settled within the situation to some degree. Mm. Feeling that he belongs in it, has a right to be in it, I'm not sure about your word settled. Mm. Because you probably automatically think that what I'm talking about is some miraculous bringing about of peace. Mm. But I mean, one of the things about it may be that it is quite rightfully not a peaceful situation. Mm. Therefore, one ought to say, this is a place where also you can bring your anger and your lack of peace. And, mm. you know, you can shout about it or, or swear about it or talk about it or, or beat your fists on the ground about it mm. if you want to. But what, right. when, 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 when you, with this... And that evaporates right. a lot of the repression right. that right. surrounds it. I think it's the repression that makes it so violent. So in that respect, I'm hearing that you don't have, as it were, a particular model of how it should be. No, I think... I think if there's anything of any importance mm. going on behind or within all this, it's something to do with coming to terms with the fact that we have a right to be here. That... You mean here on Earth, here in life? Here on Earth, here in existence. Mm. Um, you don't qualify for being here by being acceptable, by, by matching up to some model, however generous that model is. The whole thing is an extraordinary mystery. You know, here is somebody with all that he embodies, and well, I'm, perhaps the whole thing's a meaningless nonsense, mm. and that's, that's a possibility we all live with, in which case it's a, a chaos out of which the most extraordinary visions of order can come mm. from time to time. But I happen to believe that it, 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 there's something a little more than chaos to it. And I do believe that every human being is some unique vision of something significant. I don't know exactly what that... I don't even know vaguely what is signified by every human being. But I think you have to meet... You have to meet people as they are without trying to impose even your understanding of what they are mm. or what their meaning is on them. 
And you can get into a sort of habit of doing that so that people don't feel threatened in their very existence. Mm. I, I think metaphysics are far nearer the surface in people than we imagine. Mm. And it really matters terribly and is awesomely frightening mm. to be not allowed to be yourself. Um, yourself, whatever it is, is something so precious you instinctively react when it's forced into any kind of stereotype. Yes. And when you see that you don't fit, and that what's more, people aren't going to let you fit, and they're going to bring in all sorts of strengths to stop you uh, asserting some way of fitting in, I'm not surprised that violence is, is sometimes the, answer, the outcome. So when, when you're in a situation where somebody is coming here to the house, that person has various labels attached to them, schizophrenic, schizoid, they have experienced um, the life in an institution. What happens for that person when they walk through this front door for the first time and meet you and your wife and your wife and family? What, what, what do you, what the do you very, mean? very first thing that happens is, is, is a sort of slightly middle-class reception. You know, someone brings tea or coffee or uh, tea and biscuits or something. We all sit around on sofas in this very beautiful room and already there's something odd going on. It doesn't look like your average bin. And um, it's all a little bit stilted and shy because I am painfully shy. I'm really shy. And they nearly always come with experts. The experts often have a curiosity about how we handle this situation yes, that are peering. Uh... Oh, they may be nurses, social workers, doctors, all sorts of people who bring them. I mean, sometimes the people that come in quite secure situations. Mm. And it's all rather stilted till they go away um, because we feel we're being looked at and we're being looked at doing something that we do without thinking. And then when they've gone away, they just... Well, we probably just pile into the kitchen and get the next meal or something mm. or other. And at whatever level they can be involved, they are immediately involved in something that has some sort of enjoyment about it. Like? Well, perhaps like getting a meal. Yeah. Or we might be about to do something, like go out. I'm, I mentioned caving before, you know. Uh, the day that this very violent person came, we were due to go caving the very next day. We just all went caving, and he came caving too. And uh, everyone thought this was the most extraordinary, bizarre thing to do with him, but Actually, when he came out of these, this cave... Where were the caves? Um, Buckfast Lee, a yeah. marvellous caves around here. Um, he went through this series of caves, which are used by the Royal Marines for sort of selecting, you know, break men in them for personnel selection and so on. So he goes through this course that, that uh, is said to be able to reduce the average Royal Marine to tears, and at the other end he comes out utterly shattered in one way because of for probably the first time in his life, he's been allowed to go into something as frightening as being underground and perhaps stuck for a few minutes here and there. And he comes out with a surge of adrenaline in sh with sheer relief and excitement, um, splashes around in an icy river to wash the mud off, goes down to the pub and has steak and chips. And 
you know, there are all these Royal Marines who've just done the same thing, and my lot, and no one can tell the difference. I mean, Royal Marines and, and lunatics look exactly the same, and I'm not making a cynical point. <laughs> Good one. All right. <laughs> well, that certainly dissolves some differences. <laughs> Good. Right. So, so. But then there's a parallel to that, and that's in the home. Mm. Houses aren't places of, you know, even tranquility. No. You know, a house is a pretty abrasive atmosphere for growing. There's a lot of knocking around going on, mm. and um, a lot of people are exerting pressures on one another mm. and we just let them into the whole of that we don't run some marvelous saintly um, mm. vision of, of, of the way a Christian home ought to be or something like it just isn't like that if my wife and I are going to have a row mm. we've long ago learned how good it is to have a row in front of them let them see that the world isn't divided into two classes, the professionals who wear white coats and sit behind desks and never have emotions, and the mad who have all the motion, yeah. emotions going. Anger and, and, and bitterness and all the things that well up between my wife and me are part of the real world. And, you know, this can be for some of them the most extraordinary recognition. Because some of the people who come to me have been since childhood in hospital. Mm. I mean, a girl came to me having been in hospital from something like 9 till 23. All the emotions she will have seen, except for an occasional exasperation, a bit of unprofessional conduct on the part of one of the carers, all the emotions she will have seen will have been mad, in inverted commas. Mm. To see ordinary people living with their emotions, their angers, having rows, getting over them, forgiving one another, or just patching it all up and mm. carrying on, that's an extraordinary experience. Yeah. And we, I don't know how to put it, the yes, things no, we are ahead. doing here are really so ordinary, there's hardly anything to say about them. The only extraordinary thing is that we are letting back into mm. the ordinariness of everybody's ordinary life, people that, for some very odd reason our society just pushes right out. Mm. Now when 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 see when my sense is and as you're implying that here people come into a situation and what what kind of range of numbers of people do you have? What does it go from what to what? Well it's varied. Years ago when we lived in a sprawling farmhouse and the law wasn't interested, we had sometimes as many as 14 or 15 people in addition to our own family. Um, social services would ring up in the middle of the night and say, we've got a homeless family. Put them on your floor or we'll have to split them up. And the whole house would be crawling with people and it was enormous fun. But nowadays, of course, all this is becoming much, much more controlled because now we're closing down lunatic asylums and um, distributing the mm. contents around society, obviously we want to make the places where they live respectable little lunatic asylums, so out come the regulations. And um, now I look after a total of 11 people, mm. but I ought to say that they're not all 11 in this house. Mm. We, there are a couple of things. I've watched something happening in society that I had already done in my life. 
namely the opening of the doors of places of incarceration and letting people back into society. I watch it going wrong all around me. It's a national disgrace and a disaster, and people are committing suicide all over the place, having been 60 years in a secure surrounding and at a constant temperature of 70 degrees Fahrenheit with three meals a day, you're suddenly thrown out into bed and breakfast in some lonely doss house. People are just killing themselves or dying of trauma. An appalling national disaster is going on which no one wants to know about because we don't like to think about the mad. And um, I've lost my drift, I'm sorry. I've watched that happening. I have lost it, sorry. Right. So in, in terms of You've seen this drift which is taking place for people, and then you've got the house here with up to 11 people, and the way the oh, legislation yes, has come no, from. Um, I come along. I, I watch them close all these places down. Mm. In some ways it's a good thing, because those places have been misused. Mm. In one or two aspects, it's a very bad thing, because there are people who are afraid or who've been conditioned to need shelter so much that they will always need asylum in the best sense of the word. Yes. And in the best sense of the word, it's a very beautiful word. Um, I watch those places close down. I also watch a lot of people who really would be better off mm. coming out of those places and being integrated into the community, coming out to almost nothing. And I watch a few experiments being made. I mean, here and there, at vast expense, they build a mini little community project for housing the mentally ill in the community. It usually costs well over a million, sometimes as much as three million. It usually takes barely a handful of people. It's usually built so much on the model of the old one that there's no breakthrough in a new understanding. It's just a very modern mini lunatic asylum mm -hmm. in the middle of the town instead of a rambling great ramshackle one outside it. And in as far as it's small, it's got less room for humanity. In a big one, there's always room for humanity to find places to skive off into and be human. I watch that and it's very frustrating. I look at my thing and I think, well, even if you disregard the people who get a lot, lot better, even if you just talk about the people who are contained at a much more lovely level of living, um, this is surely worthwhile, and then people basically reject it from consideration because I have a religious label. They assume that I'm working some sort of white magic or, or spiritual healing or something, or I've got a gift or something like that, and you can just dismiss the whole thing. And so uh, very recently we decided to repeat it, and we got a couple who volunteered to do it. Repeat to repeat our experience here. Mm. And um, we set up another house, oh, yes. divided our clientele into two, mm. and we're doing it on two sites. In one, my wife and I are doing our white magic, if white magic it is. In the other one, our techniques, such as they can be made out to be, mm. and as I say, most of it's intuitive, so it really takes a conscious intellectual effort to try and decide what it is we do. Mm. Our methods are being repeated, mm. and we're getting the same results. Right. That's as near as I can get yes. to a scientific ex right. uh, demonstration that this ought to be considered. Yes. Um, now, in um, Father Benedict, people coming in, here they see 
a normal household. They see with their eyes, they hear it, they live it, they experience it. Now, and as you pointed out, they would perhaps for the first time in their life experience it and that it's totally okay. I would have thought that once in such an in, uh, uh, household as this, there would be enormous reluctance to leave it. And therefore, wouldn't you have a stable population here for oh, years yeah. and years? People come here on an experimental footing. After that, that experimental footing isn't determined by time. You know, there comes a mutual time mm. when they say they want this to be their home and when we say it's okay with us. And then we make a commitment. And following on from that, those people have the same rights, more or less, and the same position as my own grown-up children. It's their home. I want my children to go away. No one wants their children hung around their necks <laughs> until they're senile. You want your children to go up and go, grow up and go away, but if you want your children to feel able to go away, mm. the thing to do is make them feel really secure of their ground here. Yes. Only when you're really secure can you take the risks and Actually. take the steps to mm. leap off out. So we make this absolute commitment and we point out that even if you do go away, and for whatever reason, I mean, if you have a blazing row and go away, which is a thing that quite often happens in families, yes, uh, you may not go away in some ideal, brother, you're cured, this is the great day, we wave you off. It may be a mess you're going away. Whatever terms you go away on, you may always come back here. Um, it's not locked up. You can let yourself in. It's your home. You can help yourself some food. You can find a mattress or something and make yourself up a bed you know even if no one's here it's yours it belongs to you now I think that that's vitally important it gets abused if you like sometimes in that people decide well this is asylum and asylum is just what I want the world out there is full of it is pretty rough and pretty painful but then the same things once people have got the confidence draw them as draw the rest of us out of our parental homes. I mean, it is a bit restrictive to live in your parental home. This is, after all, my house. I'm Big Daddy <laughs> My wife's Big Mama. <laughs> um, you know, we're, we're fairly forceful personalities. We've got our style, and that's going on, and it, yes. it inevitably clamps a style, cramps the style of our children mm. and everybody who lives with us. Mm. So. I mean, there's a need to get out from under my right. shadow. Um, there's a great draw of girlfriends, boyfriends, mm. all, all the things that are out there. Right. But people need a lot of healing of their basic confidence to make that step. Yeah. And it's no good pushing them. One of the things that I think really does not work is when you give people halfway bridges to the community and you say, here you are, you've got six months to build yourself a bridge. You know, it's like being sentenced to death, you know. You may not be going to be hanged tomorrow morning, but each yeah. night is another night gone of what's left. And yes. you're constantly under that sentence and you know time's running out. A child doesn't feel that about its home. It grows up knowing it can stay on pretty well as long as it wants to and it'll go because it wants to go.
Right. And it will go basically because the world out there is enjoyable. I think one of the other really heavy things about our society is that it doesn't believe in joy. Um, it doesn't believe in enjoyment, it doesn't believe in pleasure, it doesn't matter how far down the scale, if it's mm. down the scale I'm going, you go, we, we really think there's something a bit questionable about it, and certainly the mad aren't entitled to enjoy themselves, I mean, who do they think they are? Now, well, I think you've got to build up this picture that life's worth living. Right. Sorry, stop me. <laughs> that, um, would you make a distinction between joy and pleasure? Because isn't the primary interest of many people is the, is, is the pursuit of pleasure? So I wonder why you... What, what do you mean here? What have you got in mind as your reference? Well, I don't think really that it's an easy thing to be. Mm. And I think being is made worthwhile by joy. Yes. Right. I don't know what I mean by joy, but I suppose I mean by joy those kinds of happiness or whatever it mm. is that withstand even misery. I mean, mm. the martyrs are supposed to have gone to their death in mm. joy. Well, mm. that's joy when you can march happily into yes. the mouth of a lion or something rather. Well, I'm not sure I've got that. Mm. But there's a whole scale that points in that direction, mm. and it starts with the simplest pleasures. Mm. Um, I suppose one's first lesson in joy after birth is when one's clasped to one's mother's breast mm. and one sucks milk. Yes. And there's, is it pleasure or, or what is it? But, you know, it points forward mm. towards joy, and I think every step of enjoyment of yes. pleasures, of mm. things like that, is a step in the direction of something utterly profound that is what makes the courage to exist possible. Mm. For that reason, I think it's very, very important to get these people mm. enjoying whatever they're capable of enjoying right from the start. Right. Because it's joy, I think, that really draws you out mm. yeah. right. beyond the limits of whatever you're in. Mm. And I mean, I try to make this place nice to be in and all the rest, but I also try to point the way, so they get a larger the way vision to, and perspective. to much larger visions and joys beyond mm. it. How much in all of this? Yeah, <laughs> And... Uh, and I wonder, does, how does that, and there is, no, again, no visible symbols in your living room whatsoever. You're wrong, um, you're wrong. There are several icons around. There's several, actually. oh yes, yes. There are a few, yes. I, yes I and they're rather small, as far as I can see. A couple of quite big ones, there's quite a big one as you came in. It's no good, you can't make that point. <laughs> However, you are making a point. Um, you don't get an awful lot of God talk in this no. house. Uh, for one thing, a lot of the people who come here mm. uh, have latched on to God talk as, uh, as the language of their madness. Um, you know, in the old days when... Well, if you imagine, for instance, this symptom of feeling controlled by mm. external forces, mm. well, of course, a really up-to-date schizophrenic feels that he's controlled by beings from outer space. But 
a few hundred years ago he would have imagined he was controlled by devils or angels and mm. the whole language of God and, and popular religion is, is, is just the stuff especially as popular religion as we encounter it in this country is largely um, very puritanical and very condemnatory and therefore this whole language is very very damaged for many of the people we have with mm. us. Many, this is a generalization and generalizations are very dangerous mm. but most schizophrenics have never adjusted to the catastrophe of the discovery of their sexuality. They're not able to love themselves and accept themselves in that sort of way and when that gets linked up with guilt and with 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 popular puritanism on you know you're into a very very dangerous area mm. where the god language is extremely damaging i think there's a lot too much god language around yes. and one forgets that it's a very inadequate language mm. um, that tries to give shape to silence in this house we try to be rather silent about that sort of thing mm -hmm. i don't make a secret of the fact that these things exist in my own life and my family's life as something of vast importance to mm. us. Therefore, there are icons around the house. Mm. They are shown ordinary tokens of respect. Mm. Um, we do, in fact, say grace before meals, mm. but then no one's expected to join in, and it could be dismissed as just some formality. Um, do you have any um, kind of um, <coughs> rituals or services um, do you dress There's a, an Orthodox priest? Ah, well, I, I, no, I dress most of the time as I'm dressed now, in lay clothes. Um, but not always. I mean, if I'm in a situation where it's... If I'm going to some situation where it's appropriate to dress as a priest, I do, and I don't regard it as in any way embarrassing or, or, or shocking. Um, there, are, there is a chapel at the heart of this house, there are services, but they're held at six o'clock in the morning. So if anyone wants to come to them, they've actually got to get out of bed. There is no reward for coming. If people try to come to these services just to sort of get in with us or something, they soon discover that they don't work in that way. There's no pressure on people towards that sort of thing. There isn't a pressure to keep people away, but if there's... If we err one side or the other, it would be slightly towards saying leave it alone, simply because it's so dangerous for many people. Mm. Um, it it remains, mean, however, the fundamental source, for me at any mm. rate, of a life that isn't afraid of what lots of people are afraid of, and that has some kind of peace in the middle of something very chaotic. and. I think it can be communicated by a kind of silence. I don't mean something very pious by that silence. You can, you can just live and have fun and fool around and do all sorts of things and, and convey that you are rejoicing in your own existence, which is yes. perhaps the most fundamental thing a religious person does. Or yes, right. And so that, that, the, the, the silence and, and that rejoicing and the expression of it through love for others, and through enjoyment, and through play. I, th I think also through forgiveness. Um, I think the notion of forgiveness, that, that there is nothing 
that can't be, as it were, counted as though it... Sorry, I don't know what words to use. I think forgiveness is ever so mucked up because it's got so latched up with guilt uh, mm. and, uh, and so on that people almost regard it as some sort of forensic transaction. Mm. But I think forgiveness is something more than that. I think forgiveness almost happens before you do wrong rather than afterwards. It's giving you the right to be wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, children in their own home have a right to be naughty because part of growing up is is being naughty yeah. and and learning, <laughs> learning so, to be good so in involves. Are you saying here in a way that forgiveness is synonymous almost with acceptance? I think it's giving space. You know, uh, when we first started talking, we were talking about acceptance, allowing that people existed in their own existence and not as some projection of how I want them to be. I, I think forgiveness is something like that. If we were arguing religiously, I'm sure we could have an argument about where, um, where forgiveness mm. stops and sheer condoning of evil starts. And, you know, one does draw lines. There are things one stops people hurting one another and, and so on where one can. But, um, but I'm, I'm sure forgiveness is some sort of generosity that allows people their mistakes, allows them their failures, mm. allows them their dignity when they've only realized too late how much they wanted it, having lost it. it yes. Do you know what I mean? Yes, right. The, the other thing which is, um, in, in that spaciousness and in that outlook, the one question, last question which I'd like to put here. Has the situation, here we have several children. Now, quite often children are, are fairly self-conscious as they go through their process of growing up and they bring their friends home. Have the children ever said, look, look, Mary and Betty, you know, having these people in and out and staying here, etc., etc., that it's not what they want. I mean, has there been any issue or conflict? Have the children themselves been very accepting and accommodating, if not forgiving? I think I can kind of almost a hundred percent say that there hasn't been a negative side to it. M my grown-up children, I mean, occasionally, like all children, they will use their childhood against us. But I mean, that—that's in the nature of being a parent. You're there to be clobbered with what you've done to your children. But mostly, my children say, "I didn't realise how extraordinary our life till was till I really met other people." And their lives have been so utterly boring. <laughs> and yes. that's one thing they'll say. Then my children inevitably have a fund of the most extraordinary stories. And I shall never forget, I, I shall never forget one child of mine um, playing a trick. Was it on a boyfriend? I think it was a girl playing a trick on a boyfriend or the other way around. Um, we had someone living with us who was very, very mad and at times became very, very disturbed and psychotic and had a lovely habit of wailing and screaming, she used to think that the house had become a ship and was sinking, and she would run her fingernails down doors. She didn't open them, she just liked to scrape them behind. She didn't do this very often, but I remember, 
I think it was my son bringing home a girlfriend and making her coffee in the kitchen. And behind a the door there was this extraordinary unearthly howling and scratching going on, which he treated as though it wasn't there. You know, just ignored it. And you've got this, it's not Wuthering Heights, it's the other one, um, the other Bronte novel, yeah. where, where this is mad lady in the East Wing, you know, who's, yeah. who's um, Mr. Rochester's wife. Yeah. And you've got this situation, this, <laughs> this girlfriend's eyes are opening, biggest sources. <laughs> and he didn't explain it for hours and hours. We thought it was awfully mean. But I hope I hope you'll accept that as a description that our life is, among other things, made funny. Yes. I mean, all sorts of mad things inevitably happen in my home. Mm. Now, we use the word mad in all sorts of nice ways, and there are all sorts of funny sides to it. There are all sorts of very rich sides to it, too. But, you know, it's enriched our lives. For the most part, my children will say it's enriched their lives. Yes, and. The one or two people who've lived with us and died with us, mm. very eccentric, very old, um, my children have mourned them with real mourning. And, yes. you know, I felt a great hole in my life at their yes. passing, but I've seen my children have too. Mm. And I've just known that, that, of course, my children must have missed out on some of the ordinary orderly sort of quietnesses of average suburban life mm. and they have gained a lot on yes. in other ways you know of course their childhood hasn't been ideal no childhood is um, but I certainly don't think it's been any worse mm. for the most part my children say that it's been a lot better what would you say I would say one other thing yes. my children are not frightened of mental illness, not only in others, but in themselves. Mm. My children have met death a great deal, and they've met madness a great deal. And whereas I find most people in our society okay. go around with blinkers on, they don't want to know anything about these things, because the terrifying thing about madness and death is that they're quite close to all of us. Yes. And I notice my children are not frightened in that way. Mm. I notice when my children go through rather catastrophic situations, that there's a kind of serenity in them because they're not afraid of falling into some nameless underworld. Mm. They know about yes. those things and they know that ultimately they're not to be afraid, uh, frightened of. Mm. Excellent. The final, the final, very final point there is... That's the third final point, by the way. You can edit that. This is all right. Um, that is, what about... What would you say to someone who says, I would like to explore this road, this road of caring for others, of finding ways and means to accommodate people who are on the fringes of the mainstream of this society? What would you say? Well, I would say, please, please do. Um, I'm sure... I'm sure that anyone who wants to do it, I mean, in my case it's happened over years and years and we've learned as we go on along. I'm sure there are a lot of personal dangers in it. And, you know, one does have to purify one's own motivations as one goes along and so on. And one has to be very, very wary 
of picking up vulnerable people simply to boost one's own uh, lack of inner security and that sort of thing. But I'm very struck. You know, I live in a town which has quite a hippie-ish element. It's uh, a very old-fashioned word to use. Um, alternative. Alternative element, yes. Now, a lot of those alternative people... Um, this isn't any kind of attack. Mm. A lot of those alternative people don't really fit into the work structures of our ordinary mm. society, are pushed to the fringes of it, and aren't really very much valued. Quite a few of them have real gifts with the people I look after. Mm. You know, I have 11 people helping me in my work, and nearly all of them. This isn't meant as any kind of insult to no. them. As a, nearly all of them have some sort of alternativism about them. Yeah. I have a feeling that there are a lot of people for whom our society hasn't got much more than the dole, and soon it'll have labour camps, because they'll get fed up with paying the dole out, who just don't have that get-on-and-go approach to life, aren't really interested in the highly competitive thing, but they have a kind of laid-backness mm which, with a little help, could be opened out into a, a sort of welcoming mm. attitude. There are, a, there are a lot of people around who could be marvellous foster parents for people who at the moment are just being kicked out into nothing. Um, economically, this could be marvellous, because the saving to the community, the real saving in, in actual pounds, shillings and pence, could be immense. Um, but the saving in terms of human happiness could be extraordinary. Uh, I think it could only happen when our society loses some of its unwillingness to face these areas and the guilt that goes with that unwillingness and therefore the desire to build all sorts of regulations to make those people warm and safe and like little cabbages in a greenhouse or something. We'd have to learn to take risks with those people, um, just as we take risks with our own children and all normal human beings. Inevitably, there would be a few mistakes and so on, but really and truly, there is a way forward. Mm. My thing has been pushed a bit in the direction of being too big. What I'd like people to see it as is some sort of foster home mm. which, in which people with no remarkable skills at all, just an ordinary humanity and an ordinary level of acceptance of their humanity are open enough to just foster people. It isn't really a remarkable thing. It could be repeated a thousand times over. And when you think nearly every one of those whacking great hospitals holds about four to eight thousand people, they're closed down and it's replaced by almost nothing. You know, the amount we pay in dole to a great many hippieish people, I'd rather have hippieish than alternative, it no. catches up a wrong word. Um, the amount we pay in dole could be invested simply in a, in a, in a sort of um, yeah. scheme of fostering yeah. That, yeah. that could really mm, make a lot of healing. Thank you very much for... I'm sorry, I warned you it would waffle. No, 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 very excellent, excellent points. The other is just... Um, to, if you would kind of give me a little bit of information about the, the background, just a little bit, a little bit of the biography, and I'll uh, just let it play on, and I'll take it from 
there. Um, well, but how do you have a connection with the Russian Orthodox Church? Well, I don't know. It's a simple answer to that. I just don't know. Um, when I was under two in the First World War, uh, sorry, Second World War, <laughs> in the Second World War, a couple were billeted in my house for just a few weeks from London, an old lady who was Orthodox. Russian Orthodox. Yeah. I remember her pulling a table into the corner of the room and putting a lamp on it and a glittery thing behind the lamp. And I often think there's something really rather extraordinary that this little English boy stood watching this foreign lady with her icon and her lamp should in middle age be a priest of that woman's church. I bumped into it right that early in my life. I bumped into it over and over again. I'm not a very respectable person. or a, I, I don't have some lovely sort of clear no. steps towards... And then, and then from... Right, so... At what age were you when you... You, had, you took some kind of steps towards making contact with the Russian Orthodox Church. I, I'm not sure you will find any of this very useful. No. Um, I became Orthodox when I actually formally joined the Orthodox mm. Church when I was in my twenties. Mm. Um, I did encounter it in my teens, and. Um, it was very painful to me because I, I encountered something that I felt was home to me and it was so foreign that it was impossible to join it, you know. You, 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 I didn't even recognise a single root of the words they used in their services and it, it seemed to me hopeless. Do you have, your, your parents, do you have any Russian no, Orthodox? No, none Eastern at all. Orthodox? No, no, none. So you're kind of... I'm as English as they come. All right. And... Um, um, but then from joining to actually becoming a priest is yet another leap in that way, isn't it? Yes. What does I it mean to be a priest in Russian Orthodox Church? Do we do, is, there, is there any kind of training or do you come under discipleship or seminary? Uh, I, I read theology at Oxford, so I do have some sort of formal theological training. Mm. Um, in as much as I was prepared for priesthood, I, I was, I suppose, a disciple of Metropolitan Anthony yes. of Soros, you know, the Russian yes. Orthodox bishop in this country. Um, there are all sorts of theories about what a priest is, but um, among all the theories, that there, there's some, there's some sort of hint among all the theories of priesthood, that, that, that to be a priest is to be wounded in a special way that makes you available. And I'm no good as a priest in all sorts of cultic ways or as an, as an organiser. Mm. I'm, I'm not material for um, you know, promotion in the church or something, but I do actually serve a small congregation of Orthodox in Cornwall and um, a few people in a refugee camp near here. But I regard my priestly life really as lived out in the work I do with schizophrenia. Yes. I think that somewhere deep down in it there is a statement. Mm. It's not a statement I really bring out into words, but it's a, it's a statement, and mm. it's a statement to be uttered and lost and forgotten, 
Mm. Perhaps something springs out of it somewhere, and yes, that's yeah, what it's about. Yeah, right. And what, are the, what is the age range? What's the name of your wife? My wife's called Lila. Spelled L I L A H. And she has a nice, clear uh, way of becoming orthodox. I became orthodox when I was already married. And she went berserk. She thought, what an extraordinarily eccentric thing to do. And um, about a year later, I, I used to nip off to church only occasionally. We live miles from anywhere. I used to nip off to church in Oxford. And one day we were in Oxford shopping with the children. We'd had one of those hectic, horrendous shopping days. And I said to her, just come and see this church I go to, because it's only a little chapel. Um, because I hate there being this place that you don't even know the existence of, that means so much to me. And um, very much against her will, actually, and it was exactly the wrong moment to choose, uh, we stopped off at this, this house in North Oxford where uh, one of the sitting rooms of this house for students had been turned into a, an Orthodox chapel. And she went in there and came out not looking in any better mood than when she went in, never said a word about it, for several weeks. And then she told me she was going to become Orthodox. Uh, she'd apparently stood at the door of this chapel, which was a sliding door, rattling it and feeling rather annoyed because it wouldn't mm. open, and then discovered it was a sliding door, and so walked into this little chapel in the irritated way you mm. feel when you've just been pushing like mad at a doormark pull. And in that sort of irritated way, she stepped into this room, which she remembers as utterly filled with lamplight and, and goodness knows what else, though... It wasn't at all. I mean, there was no great sort no, of no. doodah in there. <laughs> and she just felt this, this extraordinary encounter with... She felt Christ was there, mm -hmm. actually there, surrounded by light. And um, she became orthodox in that sort of way. Well, yes. I'd rather become orthodox. I just became orthodox in some messy way that yeah. I can't even see the... The direction of my oh. oldest daughter is 26, my youngest is, is nine, There's nine okay. and there are eight of them, five boys and three girls. And how old are you? 49. Yeah, 49, correct. Well, I, I, thank you. I'm only just 49. <laughs> <laughs> 49 two days ago. Oh, two days. I mean, give I mean, me a year <laughs> to come up to 52. <laughs> I'm in the middle of my middle-aged crisis. Well, <laughs> okay, thank you very much for all the, the time. It's uh, fascinating. And in the near future, I will transcribe and, and edit. And edit. <laughs> and edit and edit. Um, Discover there really is only 20 minutes of worthwhile stuff. And, um, and uh, let you uh, bring, bring it over to I'll give you a written. If you feel there's a worthwhile point hit on but not made. Mm. Let's do it again or yes. something. I'll, I'll give you a ring on that point. Yeah. And then we can include that point. And similarly, if you, in, um, when you read, you see that this could be expanded out. Similarly, just mm. add it in, write it down, or we could meet and add yeah. it. It's so nice that you're so close by. Mm. And I'm not quite sure when I will transcribe. Basically, it's that on January the 1st, I go to um, India and Thailand and I'm away six weeks. Mm -hmm. And because of Christmas, etc., etc., whether I can get it done before I go, mm -hmm. it's a bit up in the air. But if not, it'll be when I get back in 
10th of February, I'll do it straight away then. Have you got what you wanted? Yes. Sure. Very well. Excellent. Excellent. Go on, you just carry on. Go on. Just to go a little bit onto the last question about other people. This chap. I'm a real mess. Um, possibly on heroin, possibly on all sorts of things. You know, nicks the odd silver spoon to sell on the local living market to uh, to buy himself drugs and things. And um, now, in ordinary terms, quite intelligent. For instance, one of the few bits of opportunity I have to keep my mind just polished up a little bit is to do the Times crossword. Mm. Source of great frustration that hardly anyone in this house can do it with me, but Matthew could. And this is a chap, you know, who ought to have got 10 GCEs and yeah. then gone on to university and done something useful in the world and all the rest, and he didn't. And he's screwed up about it, and he's guilty about it, and at the same time he's angry about it, so he's pushed it all away and so on. And I th I've had several talks with his doctor about him, who just says, well, it's a personality defect, you know, he's a, he's a sort of no-good human being. This chap had the most extraordinary gifts of patience, of this giving of space, of this lack of fear to step in and say yes and no to people. I mean, this is something we do here. People who are used to no, no one ever saying no or you must do this because, you know, they mm. can bash them up are on the same footing as my kids. I, I don't do all the washing up for my kids. I say, it's your turn to wash up yeah, your dish, yeah. you do it. And, you know, he had that same yeah. kind of courage. He really could do what I could do. Yeah. And all he lacked to do it with was the ability to go and bluff the bank into lending him the money to buy himself a house like this. Yeah. I happened to have a couple of handy handles to my name reverend sorts of puts you into the professional classes yes. so you can you can function at certain levels even though the area in which I'm functioning isn't really mm, professional yes. I'm an amateur in terms of psychiatry yes. and so on I'm not doing psychiatry I hasten yes. to say um, or an MA after it yes. he hadn't got any of those things and you see in our society you you need these things to work they're almost the bluffs yes. that enable you to do it but believe me, he'd got any gift that I've got, probably a few more. And that's in a way what I mean by priesthood. A priest isn't some holier person than other mm. people. In lots of societies, it's, it's the epileptic who's the priest or the shaman or, mm. the, or the homosexual or the person who is at the fringes of society. Mm. He doesn't fit in. He's, he's a bit batty. He's a bit peculiar. He's a bit something. And... In that way, Matthew, who was a wounded personality, got these real gifts, mm -hmm. and I'm sure there are heaps of them around. Yeah. And, you know, the very things that would make Mrs. Thatcher not very pleased with him were just the qualities that could actually make him useful to Mrs. Thatcher. Because... Yes, right. I mean, I might as well get this point in. This house actually saves the state over £3,000 a week. I have four people here mm. who have been paid for in high-security private hospitals at the rate of £980 a week. They are not paying anything like that to be here. Mm. And, you know, with all the others, mm. I'm talking about concrete money saved. Yes. 
differences in bills being paid, I'm not talking about theoretical estimations of cost no, in places, but in actual factual money. That young man who's regarded as a waster, a no good, a defective personality, could in fact be doing something like I am, saving yes. the country a lot of money. So in its real ordinary terms, it, it could be worthwhile. And making a few people happy, mm. or accepted, or, or just mm. a Very bit good. gladder to be. Good. It's, it's a point I think is so important. Yes. I, I didn't really mean to record it, but... No, it's a very I, good point. I don't know how to put it, but yes, uh, right. It is. It, it's such an important point. I, I, we'll incorporate that, and I'll, what, all that takes place is I just drop name and anything which could possibly be linked mm. to somebody else. Yeah, super. Excellent. All right.